And finally, our scripture readings today come from 2 Thessalonians chapters 2, verses 1 to 15. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letters, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one to whom to now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of, it, of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed sorry. And then the lawless one will be revealed, who the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sent them a powerful delusion so that they will be believing the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in the weakness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and through the belief in the truth. He called you to this through the, our gospel, that you may share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So this is, this is one of those mysterious places in the Bible that talk about the Antichrist, or as he's called here, the man of lawlessness. And to kind of walk us through this passage, I want to, I want to touch on three points today. First, we'll talk about the man of lawlessness, all right? And then secondly, I want to talk about the manner of lawlessness, meaning the way that evil operates in the world. So the man of lawlessness, the manner of lawlessness. And then I want to talk about the men and the women of grace. All right, so we'll start with the Antichrist, all right, the man of lawlessness. Uh, Second Thessalonians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul and his colleagues, and it was addressed to a group of early Christians. And it seems that these early Christians were very, very upset because they had heard a report that Jesus had already returned to the world. Jesus, they, that was the report. Christ has come back. 
and they missed it, right? So uh, they had heard in verse 2 that the day of the Lord had already come. And so the apostle writes to them here basically to say, don't worry, don't panic, you didn't miss anything. Yes, Jesus is coming back, but he says the day of the Lord will not happen until certain events take place in history. And one of these events is what he calls in verse 3, the rebellion. He says to them, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. That day will not come until the rebellion occurs. That word uh, rebellion in some versions is translated the apostasy. Some places it's translated the falling away. And he seems to be referring to um, some kind of widespread sort of global rejection of the authority of God that will take place at the end of time. So he says, first of all, the rebellion has to take place. And then he says, in addition to that, he says, the man of lawlessness. That's, that's the mysterious thing here. The man of lawlessness must be revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And then in verse 5, he describes the man of lawlessness. He says, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped or that set and, or, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, let, let me, let's put this in context here. Throughout the Bible, through the whole of Scripture, again and again, we see human leaders, human institutions, human governments exalting themselves and setting themselves in opposition to the rule of God. So like in, in the book of Genesis, um, you see this in the Tower of Babel, right? In Exodus, you see this in the Egyptian kingdom that was governed by Pharaoh. And then, then later in Scripture, you see it with the Assyrian Empire. You see it with the Babylonian Empire. It's just this kind of pattern that keeps repeating through Scripture. Human leaders, human institutions claiming to have, to possess over people's lives, claiming to possess the kind of absolute authority that really only belongs to God. So, some of the Hebrew prophets like Isaiah and Daniel, they predicted that with the passing of time, out of the kingdoms of the world, rulers would just continue to arise who would exalt themselves in this way. The early Christians, they, they could recognize this attitude in the Roman Caesars. So, so they would look at the rulers of the Roman Empire and they saw men who were basically claiming divinity for themselves and demanding that people worship them. And so the apostles um, predicted that this pattern would continue through history, that it would climax with one single human leader empowered by evil himself who would claim absolute authority over and demand absolute allegiance from all the people of the earth. Now, in the, in the book of 1 John, this person is called the Antichrist. In the book of 2 John, this person is called the Deceiver. In the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the beast, you know, the mark of the beast. And, and here in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul refers to this person as the man of lawlessness. And actually, the Greek word there for man does not mean male, it just means human being. So I guess it could be a, a woman, right? Be, we're, not, we're not sure. So isn't this, isn't this mysterious? It's interesting to me that Paul, when you read in the book of Acts, Paul planted the church in Thessalonica, and he only stayed there like three weeks. Three weeks. 
And then he left. And he had already taught them about the Antichrist in three weeks of planting that church. I've been pastoring, I've been preaching for like 30 years. I've never preached on the, on the Antichrist yet. He thought it was that important within three weeks. You have to know about this. Isn't that, isn't that crazy, right? And, and the big question everyone asks is, who is this talking about? Who is the Antichrist? Over the years, various contenders for, for, this, um, for the Antichrist have been suggested by people, including the Pope, Nero, Hitler, Henry Kissinger, Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, Bill Gates, and even Barney the Dinosaur. And you, you laugh if you want, laugh if you want, but I'm telling you, it's, it's eerie. If you, um, if you take the letters of the Latin alphabet and write out the phrase, cute purple dinosaur, circle all the letters that are also Roman numbers, add up the numerical value of those numbers, guess what you get? 666, right? <laughs> so there have been all these suggestions, some of them silly, like that one, some of them kind of spooky. Some of, some of them understandable. I understand why people in, in Germany in the late 1930s might look at Adolf Hitler and wonder, wow, could this be? Could he be? I understand why the reformers might have looked at the Pope in the 1500s and said, could this be the Antichrist? But if, if you're asking that question, who is the man of lawlessness? Who is the, anti, who is the Antichrist? The answer is, nobody knows. In, in fact, apparently, Paul seems to be saying that when this person arises, most people won't know. That God will just give a, a spirit of delusion. People, it's not like you're going to see bumper stickers saying, I'm voting for the Antichrist. No, people won't even, they won't recognize this, 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 uh, this pattern of, of uh, human leaders exalting themselves against the rule of God will culminate in this one person, and people will just be like, oh, yeah, isn't this great? So it's, it's kind of scary. Now, 1 John chapter 2 says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and says, even now, many Antichrists have come. There's kind of a pattern to this. 1 John chapter 4 says, the spirit of the Antichrist is coming and is even now already in the world. So in a sense, Antichrist is coming. In another sense, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here, has already been operating in this world for years. So, when, listen, whenever... Whenever any kind of human institution, human government, human kingdom um, exalts itself and stands in opposition to the rule of God, what you're seeing is a pattern that at the end of time will culminate apparently in a very frightening, absolute, just kind of globally extensive way with the man of lawlessness. Now, this is all kind of scary, right? Um, but I want... I want to point out, did you notice that verse 3 says that the man of lawlessness is doomed to destruction? Verse, verse 8 says that this, uh, this individual will be overthrown with the breath of Christ's mouth and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. So this is kind of a, yeah, this is a scary passage, but um, the only one who should really be frightened to read this passage is the man of lawlessness. Right? Because he will be destroyed with the, with the breath. What an image. The breath of Christ's mouth. I, it, w did you ever do this? I used to do this when I was a kid. You'd get a dandelion when it's gone to seed. You know, dandelion is a very dense little yellow flower, but when it turns into seed, it's just this kind of fluffy ball of white air, right? 
You take the dandelion when it's gone to seed and you just, what do you do? Puff on it. It's gone. More or less, that's the image that Paul uses here. All the kingdoms of darkness, all the kingdoms of this world arrayed together against the, the kingdom of God when the Son of Man appears with the breath of his mouth. Gone. So those of us who follow Christ, as you read this passage, there is no reason to fear at all. Amen? When Christ returns, as it says in Revelation, that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. But that's what it says here about the man of lawlessness. Now, now let, me, let me talk about the manner of lawlessness. I mean, just the way that evil operates in the world of human beings. You know, you read a passage like this and you might, you might be somewhat incredulous. Say, I can't, how would, that, how would that ever happen? How, how, how would someone so evil ever possibly gain control over people's lives like that? Well, you know, when you ask that question, you also should ask, how does, how does evil ever gain control over people's lives? How does this ever work? So when, when I do something selfish, or I, I behave in a cowardly fashion when I say something that is deceptive. Or let's make it about you. What about when, when, when you do something that doesn't glorify God? What, what is it that leads us to do that? Notice verse 7 says, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. The, se the secret power of, of evil, of lawlessness. It's, it's not going to start with the Antichrist. It's already working in people's lives today. So Paul seems to be saying here that the, the same spiritual dynamics that someday will lead the nations of the world to rebel against God, those dynamics are already at work whenever you or I rebel against God today. So what, what is that secret power? How does evil work? What, what leads us to rebel against God? Well, notice verse 9, he says... The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. In other words, the Antichrist, he's not going to have to come up with a whole new scheme and figure out a new plan to deceive people. He'll just, he'll just do it the way, this, he'll just follow the same old tried and true method that Satan has always used. It'll just be in accordance with the way Satan works. That same old method of, of, of deceiving people to rebel against God that goes way back since the first time um, he deceived our first parents in the garden to reject the goodness of God and rebel against him. The same old method. So, what is that method? What, what leads us to do things? Well, let's admit it. Sometimes we do things we know are wrong. What does that? Is, is it is it that we're not smart enough to know good from evil? Is it that we don't think enough? Is that it? Is, in that case, is it that we just need more education? If we had a little bit more information, you hear that often in the secular world. If we just had more education, everything would be fine, right? That would solve the problem. I don't think so. Look at what Paul says in verse 9 and 10. He says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. 
He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish. Why? Why do they perish? They, they perish because of deficiencies in their intellectual knowledge. That's not what he says. He says they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. He's not saying people aren't smart enough to know the truth. He's, he's saying our problem is we don't love the truth. Listen, when, whenever you or I fall into sin, can we just be honest and admit we do, right? When, whenever we fall into the sin, the problem is not what, with what we know. The problem is with what we love. The problem is not our brains. The problem is our, in our hearts. And by, by heart, when the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about the, the center, the seat of your affections, the center of your real desires. That's the problem. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's like none of us could ever figure out why we're so screwed up. We just can't figure it out. Why do I keep doing things that are selfish and wrong? There's something wrong in here. Jesus, in Matthew 15, he said, out of the heart come evil thoughts. He's, saying, he's not saying that your heart is messed up because of the thoughts you're thinking. No, he's saying the thoughts you're thinking are messed up because of your heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile per a person. So what is the manner of evil? How does it grab hold of us? Through our thoughts, through our education? No. There's something deep down inside here. And if you've read, if you've read the Bible, you know that um, having a messed up sinful heart, that's not a unique problem that only really, really bad people face, right? No, it is a universal problem that we all face. Romans 3 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. So each and every one of us, we, 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 in, in our hearts, we possess already the, the, the kind of moral brokenness that, that leads people to embrace evil. Listen, whether we're talking about the evil of the Antichrist or the evil of an unkind word to a family member. It's, it's, the, it's the same secret power of lawlessness that's at work. It's at work in the world. It's at work among the nations of the world. It's at work in here. We all have that problem, every one of us. So, <laughs> what hope do we have? What, 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 what hope do we have of not being seduced by the Antichrist when he comes? What, what, what hope do we have of not being seduced away from God today? Well, I've talked about the man of lawlessness. I've talked about the manner of lawlessness. But let me now talk about the men and women of grace. What hope do we have? What hope do we have? God's grace. Verse, verse 13, um, the apostle says this, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Verse 14, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, he's saying listen, in this, in this world where the secret power of 
of lawlessness is at work in this world where someday the nations will be deceived to follow the evil one. He said, in this world, there are some people, some men, some women, some boys and girls who've been chosen, chosen by God, chosen by grace to be rescued. Rescued from what? Well, Galatians 1 says, rescued from this present evil age. Just, just somehow taken out of this madness of, of this world that's, that's, uh, that's hell-bound and brought into the kingdom of God. So, some people are chosen by God rather, rather than perishing with those who refuse to love the truth. Verse 14 says, they will share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting to notice here, as Paul writes to these ancient Christians and says, you've been chosen, you're, you're recipients of grace, Notice that he says that what makes them different from their neighbors is not that they're better than anyone else. Not at all. He doesn't, verse 13, he doesn't say, we always ought to thank you for you. We thank you for being moral. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being such decent people. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say we always ought to thank you for you. He says we always ought to thank God for you. He says, for God chose you as first fruits to be saved. They were, for no reason other than the sheer love and mercy of God, they had been rescued and brought to Christ. They were chosen by grace. Now, a question that is worth asking is, how do you know if you're among the chosen? How do you know if you have been chosen by grace to be saved? That's an important question. Look at verse 13. Paul says this, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So how do you know if you're saved? Well, for one thing, Paul says, you believe the truth, right? You, you, you acknowledge that you are a sinner in the eyes of God. You, you, you recognize that you deserve God's anger because of your sin. You admit that there's really nothing you could ever do to fix yourself, and you believe the message. What message? The message that Jesus Christ is the Savior for sinners. You trust that. You receive Him. You rest upon Him alone for your salvation as He's offered in the gospel. So how do you know if you're one of the chosen? How do you know if you're saved? First, Paul says, you believe the truth. Do you believe the truth? Are you trusting Christ? So he says, first, you believe the truth. Second, he says, you are being sanctified by the Spirit. God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And we say, what does that mean? Basically, that means that as you follow Jesus by faith, Little by little, you see ways that God is changing you through His Spirit. He's changing you. Now, you're not perfect yet. We all know that, right? You have a long way to go. There are ups, there are downs, there are good days, there are bad. But you know what? Little by little, you see God changing you. Have you seen that in your life? Just little by little, He's making you more loving. He's making you more patient. He's helping you to respond to difficulties with, with a greater degree of hope. You, just, you, you have a long way to go, but... You're being sanctified by the Spirit. He's changing you. So, if you have believed the truth of the gospel and you can see the Holy Spirit changing you, listen to me. You've been chosen. Isn't that wonderful? You didn't choose God. He, he, he invaded your life with His grace. He chose you. He's rescuing you from this, this 
the madness of this world. He's bringing you into his kingdom. You've been chosen by God. And if you've not yet believed the truth of the gospel, you don't yet see the Holy Spirit changing you. There's some, some good news for you also here. You should notice that, that, that in verse 13, Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, God chose you. You see the next words? God chose you, he says, as first fruits to be saved. Now, when he told these, these ancient Christians, hey, guys, you're the first fruits of those who are being chosen, those who are being saved. What did he mean by that? He, he basically was saying to the Thessalonians, all right, listen, gang, you might be the first ones in your town to come to, to know Christ, but you're not the last. You're not the last. This is just the beginning. He's basically saying anyone, anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone who, who trusts in Christ and turns to him will be among the chosen and will be saved. Like he just has this vision. This is going to spread throughout the world. People beyond what we can count, men and women from every nation, will come to faith in Christ. And so if, if you listen, if you've not yet believed the gospel, you've not, you don't yet see the Spirit working in you, you know, you know what this means? It means that you are invited. You're invited to come to Christ today. One of my favorite verses, some of you know this, it's from John 6, 37. Jesus said this. Do you know that Jesus said this? He said, whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away, ever. Jesus never laid eyes on anyone whom he would reject if that person would just simply come to him. So, to sum up here, the secret power of lawlessness, it's already at work in this world, in this room, in our hearts. The man of lawlessness, some kind of culmination of this work, will someday be revealed in a frightening way. People will perish because they refuse to love the truth. But here's the good news. If you'll turn to Christ, you'll be rescued from all of this. When, when Christ comes again in, in his glory into this world to establish his kingdom here, you will find that you are a citizen of that kingdom. You'll share in his glory with him. And here's, here's what's so amazing. We'll sing about this for eternity. All of this salvation is by grace. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would send, Father, send the kingdom of glory. Maranatha, come, Lord, come. Send the kingdom of glory. Crush the kingdom of darkness. And in the meantime, Lord, won't you please extend the kingdom of grace. Add today to the number of those being saved. Pour out your spirit. Send forth your word. Graciously turn the hearts of thousands to faith in Jesus. That his name might be exalted. Amen.